Welcome everyone back to Kingdom 101. This is my standard welcome to all and especially to those who are listening in on SoundCloud. I know you can't be here but we are thankful that you have tuned in and you're listening to these recordings. We are going to start Matthew 13 this evening and it's taken us a little while to get to this chapter. So let's begin by reviewing a little bit about the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew, commentators have all agreed, they've looked at the structure and they know that it is a kingdom teaching. It's a teaching about the kingdom of God, and it's wrapped around five major discourses, five main blocks where the teaching is organized around. Very broadly, we have already gone through Matthew chapter 5 to 7. I call this the kingdom ways, the Sermon on the Mount. The second discourse, I call it kingdom assignments, and you find it in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus assembling his new team, Team Jesus, and sending out the 12 disciples. And I believe also there were others that he would have pushed out also. The third discourse, Matthew chapter 13, which is what we are starting this evening, would be obviously the kingdom parables. You read the whole chapter, you find a whole bunch of parables down there. The fourth one is Matthew chapter 18, which really talks about a kingdom community where Jesus mentions the church and speaks about relationships within this kingdom community. And then the fifth discourse, I refer to it as kingdom readiness, because this is the Olivet Discourse from Matthew chapter 23 to 25, where he gives a very, very strong word to the religious leaders, and later speaks about his coming again. And then finally, again, a few parables down there. So this gives you a very broad stroke of the entire book of Matthew, five discourses, I thought it's good to refresh our memory on this because we are starting with Matthew chapter 13 uh, this evening. So we'll zoom in the lens and look at Matthew chapter 13. Kingdom parables, I think we can also call it kingdom wisdom because parables are sayings and there's a hidden wisdom that is inside there. But interestingly, if you back up a few verses in Matthew chapter 12, verse 42, you will see that there's a reference to this person called Solomon. And Solomon, we know, is supposed to be like the wisest guy on planet Earth, right? So he reads, The Queen of the South will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. Now, this is interesting. Where when we see kingdom parables and we equate it to, say, kingdom wisdom, we see Jesus as if he's like the new, the new Solomon, someone who is greater in the wisdom than this person who is known for the best or the greatest wisdom in all this earth. You look backwards also, you see kingdom ways on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was like a new Moses, right? Where Moses received the law on the mountain and Jesus also not just receives that law, he gives the law uh, from the mountain. Uh, secondly, when you see kingdom assignments, Jesus is like a new Joshua, entering into a new territory, into new kingdom exploits, bringing in the 12 or sending in the 12 disciples representing a new Israel. Coming to Matthew 13, we have a new Solomon. Look at uh, the fourth discourse, kingdom community. We see Jesus as a new Elijah. Why? Because Elijah was, was gathering a remnant community in the midst of an unfaithful Israel and a very unfaithful climate. And then finally, kingdom readiness. Jesus would be seen like a new Jeremiah or Ezekiel who pronounced judgment against the temple, 
brings it to a close where the glory leaves the temple. And Jesus then, after he proclaims, he says that not one stone will be left down here. You see, so Jesus is really the fulfillment of what began in the Old Testament and he brings it into the New Testament and the wisdom begins to be revealed through this person, this king, this man called Jesus. What is also interesting to note is that there are only three mentions of wisdom in the book of Matthew. And you will find them all within this section. Matthew chapter 11, verse 19, not very far from here. Wisdom is justified by her works. 12 verse 42, which we just read, the wisdom of Solomon. Right at the end of Matthew chapter 13, verse 54, they ask, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? All the three references only in Matthew found only in this little place down here. So I think we can safely say that there is a, a revealing of a certain kingdom wisdom um, that is coming through. The wisdom of the kingdom is expressed through these parables and it outworks itself into the assignments of the kingdom. So in Matthew chapter 13, really Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. And there are a couple of parables, or in fact many parables, where he begins with this one line, right? The kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like that. Uh, what is the kingdom all about? What is it like? How does it work? The Logos, Jesus, the living Logos himself, explains the logic. He himself is the system. He's the pattern. He's the one that brought everything together, created everything, put everything in place, and now he explains this logic. How does the kingdom work? How does the kingdom operate? What is the kingdom operating system? Now, do you know what KOS stands for now? All right? It's not the iOS. It's not the Android. I don't know what Huawei is going to call their OS. But it is the KOS. What's the operating system? What is it like? There's a certain wisdom of the kingdom that seems rather elusive. In fact, it runs counter to the wisdom of this world. And interestingly, when you look at this, uh, KOS, if you pronounce it wrongly, is chaos. So sometimes, you know, when you want to run kingdom ways and kingdom things, it may look very messy, it looks like a chaos to you, it seems upside down, but there's wisdom that's hidden inside. It runs totally opposite to the wisdom of the world. That wisdom of the kingdom was hidden in Christ, but now it has been revealed. And so when you look at Matthew chapter 13, we're going to unpack this. This is the first session. There will be six more sessions after this. It will bring us all the way through to the end of the year. And I want to invite you, if you're going to have this introduction this evening, that you journey with one another so that we can have a full perspective of what this series would bring for us. There are seven kingdom parables there inside. And Matthew chapter 13, verse 19, Jesus actually says, this is, the, this is the word of the kingdom. The rest, he begins by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like this and it's like that. This is the operating system. This is how the kingdom is portrayed. This is how it's going to unfold. I hope that I'm exciting you to want to journey with us through this whole thing. But when we look at Matthew chapter 13, in that passage, verses 10 to 17, this one passage actually gives us the key. And so we will start this evening with this passage first. We will not begin with Matthew 13 verse 1. We will begin with this passage, verse 10 to verse 17, 
before we get into the parables in the next sessions there. And I think at this point, it's good that we pray. Father, I want to thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that whatever has been hidden has not remained hidden anymore, that you have opened it up for us and we can see it. And so I pray that tonight will you open our eyes, our ears and our hearts also. I pray for us here. I pray for those who are listening in. And I ask, Lord, Holy Spirit, will you enable me to do what is right, what is necessary, and what is accurate according to the kingdom? And I want to thank you that you will speak to your people and we will listen and we will respond. And we thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 to 17, let's read the passage. And the disciples came and said to Jesus, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you, that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. This one passage is so key because Jesus explains many, many things within these few verses. And I want to take you through five things that I observe from this one passage here. And I hope that it will lay a good foundation for us to learn more about the parables and then to receive them as they ought to be received. The five points are simply people, parables, promise, there's a problem, and yet there's a privilege. Five simple points. Let's begin with the first one, people. The disciples came to him and said to Jesus, why do you speak to them in parables? Who is this them that the disciples were asking? Who are the people? Who was the audience? When we look backwards in Matthew chapter 13, verse 2, we are told that great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. So we are talking mega church uh, in times of Galilee, right? It was so many people that he wasn't able to stand there or sit there. He has to get out further and he gets onto a boat and that becomes his pulpit and he begins to address all these people. But it's not just the number of people we're talking about. We have to realize that Matthew, this gospel of Matthew, who did Matthew write to? Matthew was writing to the Jews. Who were the Jews? The Jews were the people of the kingdom. See, Jesus was addressing the people of the kingdom who needed to understand what the kingdom of God is all about. Now, listening to this, you might be going, yeah, I mean, it sounds so obvious. But the funny thing is, they were God's kingdom people looking for the kingdom 
and yet could not see or understand the things of the kingdom. Don't miss this point. And that's why the Lord was there trying to explain it to them and trying to address them, trying to teach them, because here you are, people of the kingdom, and yet not understanding the things of the kingdom. Now, don't look back and say, yeah, you see, they're so blurred. We've got to ask ourselves, are believers like that today? The sad thing, eh, and we have to admit, the believers today are not much different. We can preach and we can declare the kingdom of God, but there are very few who actually understand what it actually is. I have this phrase that has become quite familiar now. I say that we know how to talk Christian, but we don't know how to live kingdom. We know the right Christian things to say. We know the Bible verses. But our lives don't reflect a kingdom lifestyle. Our mindsets cannot understand or reveal what kingdom is all about. We tend to know the gospel of salvation, but we struggle to define the gospel of the kingdom. And let me say it very quickly, that both the gospel of salvation and the kingdom are actually one and the same gospel. There's no discrepancy. But our issue today is that we have truncated so much the gospel of salvation that we have also shortcut the gospel of the kingdom. That's why we don't understand what it is. I just shared with you that I've come back from three church camps. In a discussion session, after I've been talking about kingdom assignments, you must understand the gospel of the kingdom, you must preach the kingdom and reveal the kingdom, a couple of leaders came back to me and they started to ask, can you tell us what is the kingdom of God? We've got people asking us, what is the kingdom of God? And I said, well, that's a wonderful question. Why don't you tell them? And then you see this face a little bit lost. Because we have never spoken about the kingdom of God. We mention it, but we do not know it very well. Now, there are serious implications and consequences. If we don't understand what the kingdom is and how it operates, how do we know whether we are rightly following the king and his kingdom? If we don't take heed to the warnings and the consequences, how do we then one day stand before the king and our judge when he returns? Can we simply plead and say, I don't know how my pastor didn't teach me. I asked my cell leader and uh, they said, no need to know one. Can we actually do that? Can we plead ignorance and get away with it? See, these were the people that Jesus addressed. And he was talking to people of the kingdom because he wanted the people of the kingdom to really know the kingdom. And I submit to you that we today need to recover this also. Jesus addressed everyone there that day. But sadly, not all will get it. The kingdom is available to all, but not all will want it. And we'll see why in a little while. So Jesus addressed them and he spoke to them in parables. We will be looking at parables for the next few sessions, so I think it's good to know a little bit of what these parables are all about. A parable is a rabbinic device. It's um, storytelling to illustrate a truth and then to make a point. The Greek word is parabole. means you throw a story alongside the truth for the purpose of someone catching it, understanding it, and seeing the truth. 
The term parable is quite broad-ranging in that it can include a full narrative, it can be a story, it can be a simple proverb, it can even be a riddle, or it can just be one line. So it's very hard sometimes even for the commentators to discern which one is a parable and which one is not a parable, or is it a simile, or is it a metaphor, or something like that. So there are differences as in how many parables there are actually in the Bible. Now, this technique is not unique to Jewish rabbis. You and I know that it's also employed by other wise men, sages, uh, masters, teachers. You know, we, teachers love to tell stories. We like to give illustrations so that it's easier for the person to catch the idea. It can come from different cultures. It can come from different faiths, and that's okay. And so Jesus, in his teaching, in his ministry, also spoke many parables. But the more important thing to ask is, what is the purpose? Why, why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus said that it's been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but to them it has not been given. The intent of a parable is, number one, to reveal the mysteries. These are secrets of the kingdom. The word mystery and secret is interchangeable. You see, in the parable, there's a, there's a simple truth. But it is not always easy to grasp that truth. And so when you speak a story, it's to engage the audience. It's to engage the listeners that they might evoke the right response. So firstly, the intent is to reveal something, is to reveal a secret or truth. But to some, it may appear to be concealed. You'll hear it, but they won't get it. All right, and I want to be careful and I'll be bold here. Some of you are going to hear this and what I'm going to say here, and you're going to not get it. Right? So there's a, there's a revealing, and yet at the same time, there's a concealing. Why? Because it all depends on the individual's response. You have a part to play. The teacher will teach, the master will reveal, but there's a response that's required of you. And so if you miss this whole thing, you miss the parable, it becomes a missed story. Maybe that's why it's called a mystery, get it? Okay, you got to groan on that one, yeah. I have to keep you awake here. Since we're talking about a mystery, what's a mystery? A mystery is a hidden truth. We call it a secret, but there's something there that is embedded, it's covered up. But we know also that the Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 2, verse 28, that there's a God in heaven who reveals secrets. He will share a secret, but the idea is not to keep it hidden all the time. At the right time, He will, he will open it up, He will reveal it to us. So this mystery of the kingdom, actually it refers to God's wisdom, His counsel, in the way that He runs His kingdom, the way it operates, the KOS. And it's opposed to the ways of the wisdom of the world. Now, God wants to reveal His kingdom. He wants to reveal these mysteries to His people and to His friends. He's very willing to do that. And I want you to be convinced about that. Sometimes people will say, but I kind of understand. How come, how come God doesn't show me? How come God doesn't teach me? He does. He wants to. He will speak to His friends. In the Bible, Amos, it says that he will not do things without telling his prophets first. He will reveal to Abraham, his friend. He says, I'm going to do this. Shall I not tell Abraham then? Right? So if we are friends of God, we're on His side, we're in His kingdom, if we are rightly postured, God wants to reveal all these things to us. 
And so we have to be convinced that the secrets of God, the mysteries of this kingdom, is not obscure, but at times it may be paradoxical or it may be contradictory. You will know these mysteries, understand it by revelation. You cannot know it anywhere else. This is opposed to intellectual or academic diligence or pursuit. Now, I'm not saying don't study the Bible, study it. But you know, sometimes you can study so much and still not get it, right? And then one day, suddenly, there's a revelation and it comes. You can't know a revelation or a mystery through religious rites. You, know? you, you participate in church things and, and you hope to get it. You don't get it. You're just going through emotion. But after you get it, then it requires a deeper understanding. It requires you to accept what you have received. It requires faith to believe it and requires obedience to pursue it. So it's not just knowing something and that, oh, I learned already, you know. It is a lot more than that. God's mysteries, the mysteries of the kingdom, they are not reserved for the spiritual elite. Can you say amen? It, okay, it's open to everyone. It is not reserved for those with higher calling. No such thing. It is not like some other mystic religion or occultic practice that requires more sacrifice, greater sacrifice, secret rites to go higher, to enter into secret doors, deeper and deeper, you get to a different level of your spirituality. It is not like that. God's mysteries are open now and given to all who desire it. Now, if you don't believe that, you will keep thinking that there's something that's blocking you. But if you begin to understand this, then you realize that your posture and your response to it is all that matters from this point on. In Matthew chapter 13, you will see seven parables which will reveal the mysteries of the kingdom or the operating system of how the kingdom moves and what it's all about. But be careful, huh? it's not limited just to these seven parables. It's just these seven that are contained in Matthew chapter 13. So in the next sessions, we will go through the sower and the soils. It reveals the, the condition of kingdom hearts. We will talk about the parable of the wheat and the tares, and it shares with us the presence of deception, right? There's coexistence of two forces that is there, and then finally there's a judgment. There's a parable of the mustard seed as well as the parable of the leaven. And he speaks about the smallness and the hiddenness of the kingdom. There's a parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price. And this one talks about the true value of what the kingdom of God is. And finally, the parable of the dragnet, where it says that the good and bad will all be brought into the kingdom. And finally, there will be a separation of that. So we will get deeper into all these things over the next sessions. At the same time, it also shows us an aspect of the kingdom, a truth of the kingdom, that Jesus is saying, you listen to all these parables, he declares that the kingdom actually is here already. And yet, the kingdom is not fully here. It's here, but it's not yet. So there's something that you can be looking forward to. It is here, but not in its fullness. Remember Jesus said, when he came on the scene, he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's that close to you. And yet, it is not in its fullness of the kingdom. There is, if you understand, a coexistence of the kingdom and undesirable elements and influence. And that's why we go through the challenges that we face every day. And it also points to a coming judgment and a final consummation of the kingdom. You see, so if you understand the KOS, 
If you understand what Jesus is saying, then you then know how to posture, huh? how to position yourself, and you're not surprised, you're, ta- you're not taken surprised by the things that come. Now, so we've covered the people. I've explained to you a little bit about the parable and why Jesus uses these stories um, to share with people, to uncover the mysteries. Some will get it and some won't get it. Now, we go on and we look at the promise. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 to 17, this passage contains a promise, and this is really an elaboration of a point that Jesus has already made. In verse 12, he says, For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. Now, this is a promise I want you to know. I want you to underline this, highlight this for yourself. Whoever has, That means the moment you get to have an understanding of the kingdom, the moment you have a revelation of an aspect of the kingdom, if you know how to respond to this, the promise is even more will be given to you. Is that good news? Right? It's a beautiful, beautiful promise. And in our terms, Archippus Awakening, a revelation is like an opening of eyes to see things. It's like an an awakening. It's like an aha moment. My question is, what do you do with this moment? <laughs> what do you do with this awakening? When you begin to see something, what do you do? Can I challenge you? Can I tell you? You've got to move on it. You've got to sink your teeth into it. You don't let go on this. You look at it, hunger for more. Lord, if you're showing me this, is there something else? Lord, if you say this, perhaps there's something more. Lord, is there something that's going to open up here? What's the implication down here? How do I move on this? Do I shift myself here? Do I move there? How do I get aligned to all these things? Because the moment you begin to respond, you are doing something with what God has given to you. And the promise is so clear. Whoever has to him, more will be given. That's a promise. I can sit down and have coffee with you and tell you stories of people who have changed so drastically the moment their eyes have been opened. You will have friends that you have seen like that also, right? And perhaps you may have also stories yourself. Everything changes. You can be a church member for 30 years and suddenly when it connects, the next three weeks, the next three months, the next three years will be different. You move from a churchdom to kingdom. Okay, where previously you thought, oh, everything is only the local church. Then you realize, man, the kingdom of God is so big, you can't even contain it. You ain't seen nothing yet, man. Everything looks different. Your focus suddenly becomes sharper. Because God is training you to see things and to understand things for what they're supposed to be. Suddenly now, there's this holy discontent where you wake up one day, you've tasted it, right? You've tasted it. You're no longer satisfied just to do church. You're no longer satisfied just to happy, happy, just stay there. There's so much more. And you're asking so many questions, and I say you're in a good place. You may not get all the answers at once, because God knows how much you can take. God knows when the next revelation is important. But you've got to hold on to this promise. Whoever has, more will be given. And he will have what? Abundance. It's going to be overflowing. 
And the kingdom is so big, you can't contain yourself. Suddenly, you're going to have this overflowing desire to help others get awakened and get aligned too. Now, as you're listening to me and some of you go, no lay, then I think that's a hint. That's a hint. You understand? Where you may be listening, you think you get it, but you're not really getting it. It's like, I know, I know, I agree with you. Yeah, 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 but... That's a hit, okay? And you say, what? Wow, like, oh. Then I say, you pray. You ask the Lord. Show you. Open your eyes. Maybe you need to respond. Maybe you have already received so much, but you have not moved on it yet. And God is using this word to tell you, maybe there's something you need to realign or there's something you need to de-align from. Because as there is this promise, I only read you half the statement. There's the other statement, which is a negative promise. But whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken away from him. Does this ever confuse you? Whoever does not have, even what he has. I thought he don't have, then how come he has? Confuses you, right? Sometimes scripture is like that. But I believe what the Lord is really saying is that, actually, you have something to move on you see? But you're not moving on that. Something is blocking it, whatever, we'll get to the problems later, yeah? If you don't move on it, there will come a time where it's taken away from you. And so there are people who will merely listen to sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon. Very good church member, 52 sermons a year. Plus cell group, 52 messages in cell group. Conference every month, plus 12 more conferences. Week after week, month after month, year after year. Learning, 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 but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Very sad. Very, very sad. Why? Because when you hear, you go, wow, so good sermon. Wow, yes, wow. I so touch, you know. I so move, you know. Then when you go out, you never move. What you have is taken away. Then you go to the next one. Wow, very good, you know, very high, you know, very mountain top, you know. But again, you are moved, but you didn't move. What you have is taken away. So all you have is just this big chunk of information in your brain. But nothing is happening. What's the problem? The issue is not with the king and his kingdom but with the people of the kingdom who are actually not really interested with the kingdom operating system. They don't bother so much about it. You see. I'm okay. So let's get to the problem. And Jesus then says, Therefore, in verse 13, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, the ears are hard of hearing, their eyes have been closed, and lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. So the Lord goes back to a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 6. 
And actually, we know this passage very well. You may have heard the story of Isaiah a few times. We'll talk about Isaiah encountering the presence of God in the year that King Uzziah died. And when God asks, whom shall we send? He answers, here I am, send me. And you cannot stop there. Leh. When you stop there, you're not giving people the full picture, right? You must go on. After that, do you know Isaiah received one of the toughest preaching assignments? The craziest. God tells him, I send you, huh? now this is how it's going to be, Isaiah. You're going to preach, but no one's going to listen to you. You're going to preach and preach and preach and preach and no one's going to give two cents, two bits, what you're saying. Or they'll come to you and ask you, why like that? Huh? huh? What do you mean? Huh? They cannot understand. How many of you want to be a preacher like that? How many of you would love to have kingdom assignments like that? Right? In terms of KPI, huh? not very good. Eh? And then Isaiah will then ask in verse 11 of the Lord, Okay, Lord, but how long like that? Okay, I, I preach two, three messages. People don't respond. I feel bad about myself already, you know. I get all kinds of insecurity questions already. So Isaiah asks, how long like that? Then a lot to, until everything becomes big, big problem, right? Desolate, until Luana. But there'll be a remnant. It's okay. There'll be people who understand. There'll be a remnant. Thank God that there's always a remnant. But you see, the prophecy was fulfilled in the time of Isaiah. And then Jesus pulls it up once more and says, it's being fulfilled again. And this is the second time that's quoted. The third time, Paul is the one in Acts chapter 28, verses 26 to 27, right at the end of the Acts of the Apostles, he used the same phrase once more and he gave up on these guys and he moved on. My question for us to ponder is, do you think it's happening and being fulfilled once more in the church of Jesus Christ today? Is it happening once more that people are listening, hearing, but missing it? Are the people of the kingdom still missing the things of the kingdom? Are we missing it big time? And I think the answer might just be yes. You know why? It can be fulfilled over and over again because it's the same problem over and over again. It's not a new problem. It's the same problem but compounded many more times now. We are still having hearts that have grown dull. Now, what are hearts that have grown dull? The word dull actually can be translated to become thick or become fat. Any doctors down here? You don't want a fat heart, right? You don't want a heart that's full of all these fatty things inside now, the cholesterol and all. It can also be a heart that's hardened or calloused, where the heart is no longer interested, when the heart is just proud, when the heart doesn't want to take in anymore. This is still happening. The hearts of the people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. They've gone deaf. Paul talks about a time where the people will have itching ears. They'll pick out things they want to hear because it's nice for them. This kind of message of the kingdom, they don't want to hear. Their eyes are closed. They're blind. They can't see. The church of Laodicea, 
Jesus says, you think you're seeing a lot, but can I tell you, you're blind. You need to buy from me, get from me, eye drops. Divine eye drops. So that it can wash away whatever is blocking your eyesight. For one, they're blind. For another, they're asleep. And that's why we need to awaken the saints. Because you can't watch if your eyes are closed. Is it still the same problem? Yes. Is it a greater problem today? Maybe. You look at technology. You look at whatever we're being distracted by these days. What are the practical issues? Number one, they're hardened, blinded, deaf because of religiosity, a form of godliness. Churchiness. I'm okay, no problem, I'm good. How do you understand the kingdom? There's no hunger. You have false teachers and false prophets happy to keep the people in slumber. So Jesus warned of all these. And He says you be careful because they will be among you. They are not outside. They are inside. So we have a battle outside and we have a battle inside. If you don't understand the kingdom operating system, really chaos. You're really upside down. Your life will be messed up and you think you're okay. There's the wisdom of the world, worldly wisdom. It runs counter to the wisdom of the kingdom. So if you're only living for this life, and you're missing what Jesus is saying about the kingdom that is to come, you will miss it big time. The distractions and the cares of this world. I need to make money. I need to do this. I need to do that. Yes, be responsible, but understand the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. You need to understand kingdom OS. If not, if you're operating by a different system, you will miss the kingdom. The deceitfulness of riches. If you're only trying to make more money to be wealthy so that you can be the next whatever, you'll miss the understanding of the kingdom. If you buy into a prosperity gospel, you'll miss the thing of the kingdom. The deceitfulness of sin. It bluffs you. You think it's okay. Never mind. Lah. It's alright. Jesus loves me. Ma. No matter what, He'll still love me. Ma. Deceives you into thinking that you're okay. Your hearts will become dull, fat, lazy, lethargic. Your ears cannot process things. Your eyes cannot see things clearly. How? Simple story. You missed the story. But you know it very well. You can even tell the story. But you miss the truth. So Jesus then ends with the privilege. He says, ah, but blessed are your eyes for they see. And your ears for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Do you know that the mysteries were hidden for a time and a season? They were not open for a while. The prophets declared it. They had an insight to it, but they couldn't fully see it 
and couldn't understand it because it was not time. The saints of the old, they looked forward to it. They looked forward to the revelation of who the king is as well as his kingdom, but they didn't get to experience it. So the mystery was hidden. It was somewhere there. They were trying to figure it out. They couldn't really see. They couldn't understand when exactly the timing until, until the king himself steps in and he says, let me tell you about the kingdom. Let me tell you about the kingdom. Let me reveal the mysteries of the kingdom. And the disciples of Jesus had the privilege. He looked at them and he says, now you understand? You get this privilege, right? I'm telling this to you. If you see it, you're going to get it. If you hear it, you're going to get it. You have this privilege. No one else got this. You get an audience with me. The disciples had a privilege and we today have the same privilege. We get to see this mystery. Colossians 1 verse 26, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations has now been revealed to His saints. Praise the Lord. What a privilege. They were waiting to see something they couldn't see. Today, it's open to each and every one of us. The mysteries are no longer mysteries. Say amen. Do you believe it? Half of you are like, really, yeah. The secrets are no longer secrets. The kingdom is now an opened secret. Everything about the kingdom, it's open now. Anyone who wants it can have it. Everyone who desires and hungers for it, it's available to all of them. That's the truth. This is the privilege. In times past, it was, it was kept, it was revealed to a few because of the strategy and the wisdom of God. You remember this guy called Paul? Paul was one who thought he knew the kingdom, right? I mean, he was zealous. He was serving God, all with good intentions. But actually, he didn't get it because he was hidden for a time. But when he finally got it, when Jesus revealed it to him and had to knock him off his high horse, and some of us need to be knocked off our high horses, what did Paul do? He didn't go and talk to anyone else. He didn't attend any other seminar. He takes three years out into the deserts of Arabia and he seeks for more. And he gets that promise, whoever has more will be given to him. And in abundance, that's what Paul did. You see, Paul, when he was awakened, he got aligned. I can't say the same for many of us. Nah. Six months, uh, mentoring aligning process, too long. Uh. Three days, Batam, uh, cannot, I can't take leave. Paul took three years. Why? Because he tasted and he saw the kingdom. Amen? And he got that promise. More will be given and more in abundance. And after that, when he came back, man, he started to declare it. He started to proclaim it. And I believe he expanded on whatever Jesus laid as a foundation. The king showed him more and he was able to now articulate it with whatever experience and know-how he previously had but wrongly understood. I want to show you some of these mysteries in the New Testament. Let me show you the mysteries that Paul uncovered and continued 
to declare. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, I preach Christ crucified. Because this is the wisdom of God that was hidden in mystery, but now is revealed. And it had to be hidden because the rulers of this age couldn't know it. The rulers, if they had known it, would not have crucified Jesus. This is the weirdest thing, right? Talk about a, a strategy that backfired the enemy and still was in the purpose of God. Blows my mind. Wisdom of God. Christ crucified. It's a mystery. Which God will die to save you. The second mystery. Jews and Gentiles all are part of the kingdom of God. See, to the Jews, they cannot understand this. What do you mean? How, what do you mean Jews and Gentiles? And then Paul then says, no, 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 this is the mystery I declare to you. You are the natural olive branches. We are, the, as Gentiles, the wild olive branches. But if we believe, we are grafted in. This was a mystery kept. And now this mystery revealed. So start shouting to every Gentile, you have a part of God's promise and in God's covenant. This is the mystery of God's will, he says in Ephesians chapter 1 and then chapter 3. You can find that for yourself. One new man in Christ, no longer Jew, no longer Gentile, everyone defined by Jesus Christ. What a mystery. But now, reveal, open secret to everyone. That's so why we need to know this so that we can live it out. Then he goes on in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31, 32. As he gives instructions to the husband and the wife, then he says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. What a twist. Jesus and his people united as one. That's a mystery. So, oh, but this passage is only for weddings and for marriages. No, the marriage is to reveal this mystery. Our marriages point to this reality. I know some of you still find your spouse mysterious and hard to understand. <laughs> but this is the mystery. You see, if you don't uncover this mystery and you don't see this mystery, you know why marriages are failing in the church? Because we don't understand the prophetic significance. The mystery of the gospel of the kingdom, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19. He says, pray for me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of this good news. All that I've been sharing with you, that's the good news of the kingdom. It is a mystery because it doesn't happen this way. And then the armor of God, all the items that were listed before it, is to serve the purpose of the declaration of the mystery of this gospel. It's not for you to morning stand up there and I put on the breastplate of righteousness, I put on the helmet of salvation. For what? Live out righteousness. Live out your salvation. Live out your faith. Live out the peace that you have. Because when you live that way, the mystery is revealed. What kind of operating system do you go by? Kingdom operating system. Huh? Gong see me. How come your life is like that? How come it's abundant? You, know, you live this way. This is what it is. Then you proclaim. Death is not the end. That's another mystery. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, just like that. 
I mean, which other faith preaches this? Nobody, right? This is the kingdom of God. It's a mystery. They cannot understand this. That though we die, we live. Because of the resurrection, this mystery revealed. Jesus, first fruits. And because he was resurrected, we too will have a resurrection. A mystery. How does it happen? I have no idea. Trumpet sound, and it's done. Who can understand this? It's a mystery. Then he says, don't you know this is the mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Which other faith declares this? Which kingdom tells you this? That your God Himself lives in you. That because He lives in you, that you will be glorified with Him. Your hope in glory is because He lives in you. And that's why Paul says, I labor unto, I present every man perfect in Jesus Christ. Because don't miss this mystery. But if you don't understand this, you will not live the kingdom. You will not serve the kingdom. You won't even die for the kingdom because you don't understand this. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Then he goes on with a little hymn. He says, God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. Why are we pious? Why are we reverent? Why do we worship? It's so different from why other people worship all their gods. It's because our God came in the flesh and our God saved us. And He came first and that's why we worship Him and we love Him. In all other religions, you're trying to climb to your God and ask Him for favors. In Christianity, the kingdom of God, the King came for you. What a mystery. Who would have understood that? And that's why he says, hold the mystery of the faith with pure conscience. He says this to deacons. Be reverent. Don't be double-tongued. Not given to much wine. Not greedy for money. I mean, don't care about all these things. You understand? Live, hold on to this mystery of the faith. Can you understand? This whole thing is mysterious, but now that you see it, live right. What a privilege we have. Don't play around with this. What a glorious, glorious privilege. And in 2 Thessalonians, he warns, because there's also a mystery of lawlessness. Now, if you don't understand the mystery of the kingdom, no wonder you get snooped by the mystery of lawlessness, right? Because mystery means you, you can't fully understand it or you see it, but you don't see it. And that's why when we see lawlessness today, we say it's okay. When we see sin today, we justify it. When we see problems that are happening, uh, we close our eyes to it. It's a mystery and it's already been happening for times past. It's already there. But you've got to counter this with your kingdom OS. What a privilege, right, that we live in this day and age. That everything is now opened secret to us. And that's why then Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. We are now stewards of the mysteries of God. You are now stewards. You are managers of this mystery. What are you doing with it? You're keeping it a mystery, huh? You're trying to make it mysterious again, is it? No. You get out there and explain the mystery, amen? 
You share this mystery. This is what it's all about. And you explain to people, you expand, you just tell them what a glorious king you have. What a wonderful kingdom that you serve. But as you understand all these things, that these mysteries must be managed and ministered through and with love. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 then says, what's the use if I can understand all the mysteries but have not love? Then I'm nothing. So don't be proud, don't be yaya. Don't think you go out and say, oh, I just heard a message of mystery, you know, so I know a lot, you know. I can tell you all the mysteries right now, you know. I mean, it's good that you know, but the point is, do you love this person, right? Do you want it for the person's well-being? If not, you can have all the PhDs and all the seminar name tags and hang on your wall, but have not love. It means nothing. So the kingdom OS. You see, this is what the kingdom of God is all about. It's not about us Believe Jesus, die, go to heaven, and finish. This is the kingdom of God. You've got to know how it operates. It's now, but it's not yet. I believe God is stirring His people and His church once more. I go into churches and I make one declaration. I say, you need to learn how to discern between the church and the kingdom. They're related terms, but they're not the same. And that will catch anyone's attention. And after they'll ask me, what do you mean by that? See, you can play church, do church, and still miss the kingdom. And I believe we are in this season where God is stirring to awaken His people. Why? Because parables, God desires to reveal His mysteries. He desires to uncover all these things. It's already been done. So He wants to show them even more. And there's a promise to those who will get it, they were going to get more. It's an open secret. You want to get as much as you want, you go for it, okay? God has got enough to give to you. you. You don't even have enough to be able to receive it first. But understand the problem. And if you suffer from some of these problems, can I gently tell you, deal with it. Ask the Lord to help you. Get aligned. What's your condition of your heart, your ears, and your eyes? Because I finish on this one point. You and I are privileged people. I want you to know that. But when you have that privilege, we need to be stewards of all that we have been given. And so let me close with one line again in Matthew chapter 13 that Jesus would say after his parables. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Why does he say that? Because he knows those who have ears may not hear. And you don't bring just your physical ears. Your spiritual ears have to be open and unclogged. And it is only done in the spiritual, by the Holy Spirit, that revelation begins to come. He says the same things to the seven churches in Revelations after he tells them. He says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so I leave you this one line. And I invite you back over the next six months, journey with me and with one another. But bring your ears. Bring your spiritual ears. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, our King, we thank you, Lord, for declaring your kingdom to us. We start with acknowledging the privilege that we have, 
that men and women of old longed to look into these mysteries, but they couldn't see it. They tried their very best, but they didn't have that privilege. Today, Lord, it's given to us. It's opened to us, O oh Lord. What a glorious privilege. I pray you'll let that sink into our hearts deep, Lord. I pray that you will deal with our hearts if they are dull or distracted. I pray, O oh Lord, you'll unclog our ears, O oh Lord. If there's spiritual wax that's in there, will you clean this out for us, O oh Lord? Will you flush out whatever is blocking us? Lord, will you heal our itching ears where we only want to hear what is nice? Lord, will you open our eyes that we may see Jesus for who He is and what His kingdom is all about. And we stand into that promise, O oh Lord, that when we align with You, Lord, He who has, even more will be given to Him and her and in abundance. And I thank You, Lord, for kingdom people that You will raise up in this final hours, Lord. That You will connect kingdom people, Lord that we can partner with Kingdom Hearts, Lord, so that we can help even more get into the right place with you. And so we thank you and we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.